and welcome to the first NBA podcast of 2021. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about all things basketball, including breaking down both of the conferences so far, as well as giving you some MVP standouts, and also a segment we're calling What We Would Do If We're NBA Commissioner for the Day. As always, Charles and I are joined by Portland Trailblazers fan Dalen. Dalen, what have you thought of the first month of the NBA season so far? Oh, man, I think for all the the hurdles that the NBA is facing, you know, with the COVID, so many games getting canceled, players uh, contracting it, um, I think they've done about as good as they can. You know, they're, they're going to catch flack from some people for even playing a season. I know there's talk about why, why are we doing this, um, how many games are getting canceled. But I think that, yeah, they've just got to – they've got to decide to play the season and just – do it and get to the playoffs. And I, I commend them for doing that. You know, they, once the decision is made, they've got to stick to it no matter how many games are canceled. I think Um, it's been fascinating. You know, there's so many teams in the middle right now, usually by this time in normal years, you kind of see that stratification of the teams. And this year there's just so many, you know, just log jam there in the middle that, you know, who, who knows, you know, they're outside of a couple teams that are clearly not as good as the others. There's so many teams right now that are just in that middle, that are competing for playoff spots. It's been fascinating to watch. You've had James Harden, that huge blockbuster trade, something that we haven't seen very much at all in NBA history. You've got guys like Bradley Beal who could be dealt soon to another team. I mean, there's so much movement going on right now. Um, It's been really interesting to watch. There's been some amazing play. There's been some great rookie play. Mm. And you've got the guys like Chris Paul and LeBron, you know, they're they're pulling a Drew Brees and Tom Brady. (laughs) You know they're they're playing uh, under their years and just kind of proving that the father you know, time players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's been uh, it's been a great season so far. Any surprises for you so far, Charles, or has it been all pretty straightforward? Uh, I think I have to agree with Dalen. The one thing that we normally see by about game twenty of the NBA season is we not only know who the uh, playoff teams are going to be, but what order they're going to be in. But there's been a lot of sort of unpredictable play. There's a, I, there's a, there is a massive log jam. You know, I think the Lakers are the, the Lakers are the only team with 10 wins this season and there's no team with less than three. So there's still a lot of uh, sort of working out to be done. Obviously, you know, the, uh, I still think the Lakers are going to, you know, steamroll everyone again, but obviously the Nets have made, uh, that big trade to get Harden for essentially the rest of their bench and their entire uh, draft hall future. <laughs> what is it? But, eight eight first rounders or something? Four first yeah, rounders and four pick swaps. Four swaps. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, plus Levert and Jared Allen. So, you know, they've given up a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't understand why they gave up Allen when, you know, to me, DeAndre Jordan is, you know, a, nothing but an overpaid liability. But, you know, they've still got time to, to, to work together, you know, in the NBA, you know, it's all about high end talent and, you know, I, I don't understand why anyone thinks the Nets got a raw deal here. I mean, look in the future, it may hurt them when those, if those unprotected picks end up near the top, like the Paul Pierce trade, but you know, right now, you know, they got better because it's all about how much high end talent they got. And if Kyrie, God yeah. forbid, actually back, you know, they'll steamroll everyone in the East. So, you well, know, it's been more and more like a Lakers-Nets matchup. Well, there's a lot of people comparing this trade, obviously, with the uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. 
But I think the biggest difference between the two trades is the Nets aren't getting two players, you know, over the age of 30 and way past their prime in this deal. They're actually getting James Harden, who, you know, I mean, he has his faults, the guy, but, you know, he's, he's won MVP. He's still an incredible scorer. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. He obviously had a triple-double on his debut uh, for a new team, which is the first time a player has ever done that. Uh, and as you said, Charles, yeah, it should be very interesting to see what happens when hopefully Kyrie Irving uh, eventually comes back. He was fined $50,000 by the NBA uh, for his actions, which is completely fair enough. I do want to speak quickly about the 76ers in this whole uh, trade war that kind of went on between Houston, the Nets, and the 76ers. What do you guys think about the 76ers passing on Harden uh, and not giving up Ben Simmons in that trade? I think they have to give up Simmons. Look, he's, he's a good player, but he's not developing. You know, He's not any better this year than he was when he was a rookie or second year, technically. And yeah. so, you know, he hasn't gotten any better. He's averaging about the same. His PER is about the same. His points, rebounds, assists are slightly up, but they're not dramatically better. The Sixers haven't gotten that much better. You know, I, I think, look, was Harden the right player at 31? You know, he'll demand a lot of money. You know, you could maybe argue, but I think they have to give him up anyway because... You know, they've hit, you know, they're at their ceiling right now with these two players. And Embiid and, and Simmons both, are, you know, drive, they clog the paint. And in this era of NBA where it's all about the three and it's very analytical and, and sort of statistically based more so than it was in the 90s where it's all ISO, mm. you know, you have to be able to adapt to the changing times. And, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, a bit like Giannis, to be honest, although Giannis is far ahead of him. You know, if you can't shoot the three, you can't survive in today's game. You know, we see players who all they do is shoot threes, don't play defense, don't have any other rep, any other skills in their repertoire, and they get you know ten million bucks a year being the tenth, eighth man on the bench. So, you know, I think Simmons, I think the Sixers should have should trade him for someone better, some sort of high end player, player while he's still got a lot of potential because, you know, in two years' time, you know. You know, they, there won't be this incredible amount of potential because he, had, he won't have gotten any, any better. So, you know, I think they need to move on. Stick with Embiid, who's by far the better player, and mm. sort of try and go from there because, you know, they're primed for a push, but not with Simmons and Embiid together on the same team. I'm not quite as down on the combination as most people are, I think. Uh, I think they've proven, you know, at least this season so far, that they can certainly win um, with those two guys. Yes, Simmons has some, some holes in his game that he does not seem to be capable of fixing the shooting, but he's also a great passer. He's just so big at that position. Um, it's really about who they put around them. And, I, I, you know, I think they've got, you know, with Curry, uh, with some other players they've got there, they, they have the ability, I think, to win and to compete for a top three spot. Yeah. You know, I would be surprised if they don't finish number three or number two even. Um, you know, they're, they're only the second team in the Eastern Conference right now with nine wins. So, um, I, I think they can win. Can they win a championship? Probably not as they're, per, uh, you know, currently constructed. But um, I'm not quite as down as most people are. I think it's – I think they're a very fascinating team for the possibility of trading for Bradley Beal. 
Um, he would kind of fit that. You know, he he won't he wouldn't be their point guard, but he can certainly handle the ball like a point guard does. He's going to bring a ton of shooting to that team. I think he would probably fit better with Joel Embiid than Simmons does. Um, yeah. Uh, if we're kind of, you know, for estimating, we're guessing who we think might be a good fit. I think Philadelphia is a strong suitor for the Bradley Beal sweepstakes. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you there. I think Bradley Beal's trade value has been the highest it's ever been. I mean, the guys. Averaging 34 points per game at the moment, and he's three and eight yeah. uh, in the in a pretty you know weak Eastern Conference. Um, I think 76 is probably looking at that at the moment. James Harden for me just didn't really look like the best uh, person well, to I, uh, combine with the bead in that potential trade that was put forward. Yeah, I think they just wanted too much because I think it was you know it was some combination of Simmons and. Um, Maxi and Fiebel, and I think that was just yeah. too much for Philadelphia to give away at that point, which I get. You know, those are two two younger guys that you don't want to uh, give up on along with Simmons, but yeah, agreed. Uh, let's move on to some other teams in the East. Uh, obviously, the, the Bucks uh, with <clears throat> a massive trade in, uh, in the offseason, and then obviously uh, re-signing Giannis as well, uh, leading the way at the moment. Uh, but the Pacers have been a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, Sabonis has been playing very well, and also Miles Turner is averaging four blocks per game, uh, which is pretty Im- impressive start to the season for them. Yeah, I think the track. I think the, the Pacers have, you know, been quite surprising for me. They played very well. Um, you know, they whacked the Blazers the other day. Sorry, Dalen. Ouch. Um, uh, you know, they've beaten the Celtics, and you know they've. They've lost a couple odd games. You know, they've lost to the Knicks, for example, and the Kings. But, you know, overall, they've played very well. Obviously, Miles Turner, you know, he's been an absolute uh, beast. Brogdon's averaging 22 points a game and seven assists. You know, Sabonis is shooting 56% from the field. Um, They obviously, I think they were the second biggest winner of the James Harden trade, getting rid of Oladipo, who was going to leave in the offseason anyway, and getting in LeVert on a... Very team-friendly deal, in my opinion, and also getting, you know, some some other really good players in the in the trade. So, you know, I think overall uh, they've uh, improved a lot as well uh, as a result of the Harden trade. So, you know, they could definitely finish top four. Um, whether mm. or not they do, you know, they've got obviously got to stay healthy and COVID dependent uh, depending as well. Uh, obviously, they had the game with their against the Suns postponed. So, you know, but you know, the, it's it's looking bright in Indiana. I think you know they they're a bit of a snake bit franchise, really. You know, they've never won anything, and you know they get Oladipo, and then he you know ruptures his quad, and then he's out, and then they have to trade him. So, you know, they do things by the book, and it doesn't always work out for them. But uh, you know, this season is looking very promising. Uh, led by their really good front court and their back court is starting to pick up. So, you know, a bright future. Yeah. A few questions for me when we're talking about Indiana. Number one, uh, at what point can we have an Arvidas versus DeMontis debate? Because I think that would be super fun, uh, you know, as a as a Blazer fan. That guy was just amazing. It was such a shame that Arvidas Sabonis had the injury issues that he did because, man, that guy – that guy could do things that no one else could do at that size on the court. Like the mm. passing and vision, man, he's, he was kind of a predecessor to like Nikola Jokic. Um, but 
went toe to toe there with Shaq for a little while and proved that he could hold his own. Uh, I think this year with with Indiana, a lot of it depends on T.J. Warren uh, if he can stay healthy because he's only played four games so far. If he can keep up the play that he was the tear that he was on last year and, and this year so far, he's a huge piece of that. And I think the last thing that that really you know it's kind of sad, but uh, Karis Levert they found that uh, the mass on his kidney and what exactly that is, um, how long he's going to be out. I think it's very likely that he doesn't play at all this season. And um, yeah, on the bright shame. side, what's that? A bit of a shame to him. Yeah, I mean, you've got to hope that it's just like a cyst or something that they can either is is benign and not an issue or they can remove it and he's back in, in not too long. You really hope it's not yeah. cancer or something like that. The only bright side is that he got traded. And yeah, well, in a way, that, that's kind of saved him. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm kind of astounded that that was never discovered earlier. I don't know all the protocols of NBA teams, but I would – I would assume they do some kind of physical at the start of seasons or during the off season. Um, yeah. Maybe they just don't do that kind of a scan, but it's really, really sad that he's got that. If it turns out to be something serious, I think, you know, at this point operating without Oladipo and now Lavert, I think they're, they might take a little bit of a hit because Lavert, I think was going to push them to another level um, with, with what he can do with the ball, his, his style, a little bit of his size. Uh, now they've lost Oladipo. So can they keep this up? Uh, I think so. Uh, bonus is just, you know, he's playing amazing. You guys have touched on all the things. Brogdon is an offensive playmaker. And mm. Turner is right now, you know, he's the uh, the defensive player of the year. Numero uno. So we'll, we'll see if they can keep this pace up. Uh, the final team in the East I want to talk about is the Boston Celtics. They welcomed Kemba Walker back uh, yesterday into their roster and also – Giving uh, Jason Tatum that massive extension in the offseason as, off as well has seemed to help him. Uh, chances for the Celtics to potentially come out of the East at the end of the season, Charles, what do you think? Um, you know, I'm not as bullish on the Celtics as everyone else is. You know, Kemba, I mean, he got hurt again today. Um, he took a hit to his side in, and they lost to the Knicks by 30. And, you know... Losing to the Knicks by one is bad enough, but when you lose to the Knicks by 30... <laughs> that's coming from a Knicks fan as well. <laughs> and, that's, and that's coming from a very sad Knicks fan, as I am. But, you know, Tatum's been um, unbelievable, averaging almost 27 a game. I think the subtraction of Gordon Haywood has sort of clarified everyone's role in the team. I think it's been very beneficial him leaving. And, you know, he's, he's been very... He's played excellently for, for, for the Hornets this season as well. You know, Marcus Smart, I think, has also stepped up his game. You know, he's, he's leading the team in assists. Jalen Brown, he's, he's starting to play up to his contract. Tristan Thompson, you know, he's leading the team in rebounds at almost nine a game. So, I think, you know, he's been an excellent pickup. Sort of underrated uh, player this season, I think, for them. Uh, you know, bringing that championship experience, even though he wasn't, you know, a massive contributor, he still, you know, has won a championship. So, you know, I... I think the Celtics are definitely a top four team in the East, but I, I personally don't think they will get to the conference finals again this season. I think depending on how uh, the seedings go, you know, they'll lose, you know, I don't see them beating the heat, the nets, you know, I don't really see them beating, you know, that, you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't even, I don't see them beating the bucks either. So, no, you know, I think I think they're a second round team at best uh, and uh, a first round team if they get unlucky. Obviously, they've had 
a big COVID issue, which is probably why they lost by 30 today. But, you know, they've got to try and keep that sort of intact. Maybe yeah. they just hope every single player gets it so that they can't get it again. And, uh, but look, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not as high on the Celtics as everyone else is. Yeah, no, it should be, should be interesting to see how that all shapes out. Uh, let's move on to the, the Western Conference. Uh, obviously, as Charles mentioned from the start, Lake is leading the way with 11-3 record at the moment, plus 11 points differential, which is by far the best in the league. And also second in points allowed as well, which has been a bit of a surprise because their defense has shored up a lot uh, this season. Uh, but for me, the, the biggest surprise in the West so far has been the Jazz. Uh, they're second in the West at the moment with the nine and four record. Uh, and Ruby, Rudy Gobert has got a bit of a, a point to prove at the moment that had that weird Twitter feud with uh, Shaq. Did you get to see that at all, uh, Dalen? I did not. Yeah, I think Shaq, Shaq was having a bit of a go at him uh, for being paid a ridiculous amount of money or something. So I don't know if that's coming to uh, Gobert's set up at all and maybe he wants to prove Shaq wrong or he's just uh, having a, a good start to the season. Yeah, 40 million bucks a year to average 11 points a game. I don't think Shaq was uh, too happy about that. But that's just the modern NBA, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, centers, the role of the centers changed differently. You know, when Shaq was playing, point guards weren't scoring 35 a game like Steph and Russ do. So. Yeah, yeah. Centers are playing just a very different role these days. Everything's kind of transitioned to, you know, the backcourt with the guards and everyone kind of, you know, even if you're not a point guard, you're still handling the ball. Like we mentioned Bradley Beal earlier. He's not, you know, position-wise technically a point guard, but he plays point a lot. And they're just shooting so many shots these days but behind the arc. Uh, this year during COVID, you know, this is kind of a wacky season in just all sorts of regards. But mm. there are 28 teams shooting 30 or more threes a game, which is almost the entire league. Wow. And only five years ago it was three or four. So it, it's just – I mean, between, you know, like Portland, between C.J. McCollum and Dane Willard alone, they're shooting like threes a game, which yeah. is it's, – it's bizarre. You look – you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, guys like Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, pound for pound, probably the, maybe the purest point guard you've ever seen. You know, he was shooting, you know, like 26% from the three-point line. And these guys are, you know, shooting in the, the mid-high 30s. And the game has just changed so dramatically. Well, yeah, it's, it's good that you mentioned McCollum because he's leading the way with uh, 4.83s uh, yeah. per game. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there. It looks like the, the Portland backcourt is definitely – moving more towards shooting the three ball a lot more, which might help your offense uh, function a little bit better. Oof. I, if there's one team, you know, the Portland, the one team that I watch nearly every game of, their defense is atrocious. They are second in the entire league in defensive efficiency. Um, second, not, they're 24th. 24th in defensive efficiency. Their assist ratio is second the worst behind like Orlando. So they just, everything's so ISO dominant. Uh, they don't move the ball a lot. Everything's a jack up three. If it's not CJ or Dame, it's Gary Trent Jr. Or it's Carmelo shooting a pull-up transition. <laughs> or it's Derek Jones Jr. Who, shooting just horribly behind the arc. Rocco. Um, I mean, but that's just kind of the trend of every team these days is quick shots. We're shooting threes. Uh, we're shooting 30 footers. Um, mm. I mean, I could I could rant about Portland all day, but they've just they don't move the ball. 
very well. It's so so ball centric with Dame and CJ that they don't have much of an identity. Identity they can't defend. Um, Nurkic is out. CJ McCollum went out with a sprained ankle the other night. So they're man, they're kind of uh, in the market for a big, I think. And uh, not to get too far ahead of myself, but Cleveland. Looking at you, Cleveland. Maybe some Andre Drummond. One of the one of the five bigs they currently have on their roster. <laughs> Portland. No, Cleveland. Cleveland, yeah, yeah. Drum, Drummond, Love, uh, Jarrett Allen. Love JaVale to get Jarrett Allen. JaVale McGee? JaVale yeah. McGee. Lord, no. No, we want no part of JaVale, JaVale <laughs> McGee. Yeah. Uh, speaking about shooting, uh, one of the other points I wanted to bring up is the, the shooting struggles that the Warriors have had, which has been a bit of a talking point so far. Uh, the Kelly Oubre uh, acquisition is looking at like a – Probably a wrong move for them so far this season. Yeah, look, he has just been absolutely atrocious this season. Um, you know, he just hasn't played well at all. He's shooting terribly. You know, Draymond Green's, I think, at like averaging three points a game or something. Like, you know, he's just... Most overrated player in NBA history. You know, he's, yeah. got a seven, he's got a seven PER... 7.8 PR, averaging four points, five rebounds, and six assists. Like, and he's getting paid 25 million a year. I mean, this guy, seriously, should be arrested for robbing the Warriors of 100 million dollars. <laughs> I never understood why everyone thought he was so good when they were winning chips, and now that they're not winning chips, uh, you know, he's not. You know, he, he's being shown out. You know, you look at his shooting stats. You know, they're pretty much gone down every year. You know, he averaged 14 points when they lost to the Cavs. And then every year, 10, 11, 7, 8, 4. You know, last year when Steph, Clay, and Katie were all out, you know, he was absolutely pathetic on offense and defense. And that's the thing that's really disappointed me is that the massive drop in his defensive ability over the last two, three years, without being out a significant time for injury, has to me just been shocking. I mean, you know, he's just he's just fallen off such a large cliff. You know, I don't think anyone expected him to be here. You know, I have to agree with you with Ubre as well. He he was pretty good last year with Phoenix, you know, averaging almost nineteen a game, you know, shooting thirty-five percent from three, forty-five percent from the field. And this year he's just fallen off a cliff. He's shooting thirty-five percent from the field and less than twenty percent from three. And he's averaging eleven points a game. So, you know, I just think they're the Warriors are failing to sort of a bit like with the Blazers. They don't really have much of an identity right now. Yeah. They're, they're sort of living in the past to me. The sort it's of all still, built around Steph in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Well they're, well, they're still trying to, you know, convince themselves that they're still that team that won all those chips and finished 73 and nine, but they're not the same team. Yeah. You, know, you look at the roster, you know, outside of Steph and Clay, who by the way is out, probably going to be out for the whole season. Yeah. No, they're a bunch, you know, they're, they're all bench players, really. I mean, Kent Bazemore, Marquise Chris, like <laughs> outside of like what James Wiseman, who hasn't, who I haven't been overly impressed with. He, he's, he's played all right though, given, you know, their sort of disdain percenters um, in this game, but you know, he hasn't, you know, he's 145th in PER. So he hasn't exactly lit, lit up the league, but you know, they just, they're just struggling right now. They're sort of going through the motions, you know, Steve Kerr, you know, you know, 
well, coaches in the NBA don't deserve any credit when they win or lose, but, you know... He yeah, we've really spoken about that before. Yeah, he hasn't been able to sort of light the fire. You know, even someone like Andrew Wiggins, who's been averaging almost 18, you know, he hasn't been overly impressive either. He's 148th in PER. So, overall, they've just got a bunch of overpaid, underperforming players outside of Steph, and, you know, that's not a good formula for success. The Clay Thompson injury is just, you know, it doesn't need to be said how, how much that hurts them because... If he's starting, then you're bringing, you know, Ubre off the bench, and now you're looking at a, a pretty legit top six guys, um, six or seven that you can bring in um, and play. But, yeah, they're just – they're hurting for depth. They're hurting for playable guys. I think Wiseman, for a rookie, he's he's been playing really well. He, he does things. He understands the game, I think, at a level that a lot of guys that young don't, especially at his size. Um, but they're going to be a very interesting team to watch. You know, they're six and six. They're they're eighth right now in the West, and I think you know for no other reason than just watching see what what Steph Curry can do with that cast of characters. Um, you know, Draymond Green. We're all in agreement. Maybe the most overrated player in the history. Um, I, I think not a lot of people saw that when when he was surrounded by so much talent. But mm. um, he was kind of that guy that could just get pissed. He's a role player. He's a glorified yeah. role player. Yeah. Yeah, he could kick guys in the balls and it wouldn't hurt the team because <laughs> he had three Hall of Famers, you know, yeah. around him able to pick him up. And it, that was the role that he fit. Um, I, I can't watch him shoot anymore without laughing a little bit because I, <laughs> I, if, you, if you think about him – it looks like he's shooting with a backpack on. And once I heard that, I have never been able to watch him shoot. <laughs> well, now it's ruined it for me as well. <laughs> you will never be able to watch him shoot again because it's it's 100% legit. He looks like he's shooting with a backpack on. But, yeah, he's, his defense has gone down. He's never been a great shooter outside of being the spot-up guy that gets fed those, you know, Steph or Durant are being double-teamed. They kick it out to green and he shoots a wide-open three and he'd make one every now and then. But – yeah. Uh, they're going to be a fascinating team to watch. I think they're going to grind the whole year. They're certainly not tanking. So I respect that. And, um, you know, Ubre, you guys have kind of covered it all. He doesn't even look good anymore. But, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where they go from here. Uh, Dalen, you spoke about uh, in our first NBA podcast about CB3 and the impact he would have on this Suns team. Now, the Suns are sitting at fourth in the West at the moment with the 7-4 record. Uh, has any of this surprised you at all, the impact that he has had? No. And I, I think for – man, Chris Paul gets – he gets some some shit around him. He comes NBA a lot, circles. doesn't he? Yeah. He, he's a guy that drives me up a wall because um, especially those years with the Clippers, like it just got kind of nasty there for a while where, you know, he and Blake Griffin and Jamal Crawford, they were just yelling at the refs every game. Um, <laughs> He's just that gritty point guard that you want, though. Like, he's one of the top eight point guards, top eight or ten, easily of all time. Yeah. He, he catches a bunch of, you know, flack, like I said, because he hasn't won the ring. He has some really bad uh, first-round exits in the playoffs, some bad second-round exits in the playoffs. But he just – he brings everything that you could possibly want to a team like Phoenix that has some young guys. And Chris Paul can get another few good years at it. Three, four, five good years, I think, left. They've got uh, a good cast of characters. They've got some young guys playing well. Um, yeah. You know, Booker still hasn't even quite caught on to what he's capable of. Probably um, the um, probably the best duo under 25, in my opinion, in Aiton and Booker for the future. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a team that's just going to be scary come playoff time, man. With yeah, with those players, with Chris Paul, his he's he's just what that team needs to a point at this point in all of their developments. Uh, Charles, before we get into the last segment, is there any anything else you want to add? Yeah, I agree. I think the Suns have, you know, I think everyone's they sort of became everyone's sort of sleeper pick, which is kind of an oxymoron, but you know they've done quite well this season obviously Chris Paul has been a big key in that you know Booker's you know points per game have gone down from previous seasons but he hasn't put up a fuss about it which shows me that he's he really is interested in winning obviously Ayton has played very well this season you know I I thought he was a bit so and so his first couple years but he's 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 starting to put it all together I also think Mikhail Bridges is is a guy that doesn't get enough um, attention you know he's leading the team in blocks you know he's and you know, he's been, he's a great glue guy, I think, a bit like Draymond Green, but makes about $25 million less. So well, he's, and he's second on the team in points per game, too. Yeah, he's excellent. You know, I think he's, he's definitely been a key guy for them this season. Obviously, the, the Justin Jackson uh, a draft pick didn't work out and he was shipped off relatively quickly. But, you know, that was a good pick. Uh, you know, in, in a trade for the Sixers, getting him. Obviously, they gave up Fireball, but, you know, yeah. I, I think he's been excellent. So, you know, altogether, do I expect them to finish fourth at the end of the season? No. Or third, fourth, whatever, the fourth right now. Uh, at the end of the season, no. I think the Mavs will probably... I think they're inside the top six, though. Just yeah, six or seven. I think they can definitely finish near the top. Um, yeah, in the top six. And they're definitely, to me, a lot for the playoffs. But, you know, yeah. the Nuggets... They've started slowly. The Pelicans are, are, I think, a bit of a, a bit of a long shot, but I, I still fully expect the Nuggets to make the playoffs. So, you know, yeah. one of the teams has got to fall out. So it'll be interesting to see who it is. Do we think? Uh, I think the Spurs are going to probably fall out, and the, and the Warriors too. Do, do how far do you guys think Denver's going to be able to climb? Top I four. Denver, I think I think Denver could definitely still get to fourth. You know, it's pretty early in the season. I, I look, I think they'll finish above the Blazers. Um, you know, I think the top three sort of separating themselves in the, in the Lakers, Jazz and Clippers. But I think anything below that is, uh, is definitely open for reseeding. I even yeah. think, okay, see, you know, they've played, they've surprised me this season about how well they've played after losing everyone. So yeah. going to the second re, 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 rebuild in two seasons. <laughs> so, I mean, they've played really well. You know, um, Lucas Dort has really stood up this season and Shea Gilgis Alexander is, what a player. Week. What a player that kid is. I should never have traded you know, him. You know, they've even turned Al Horford into a respectable NBA player, which is more than he ever was at the Sixers. So, yeah. And they've got all those draft picks coming in. So, I mean, it, you know, Memphis as well. You know, I still think, look, I think Golden State and will fall out and Denver will take their place. Can the Spurs hold off Memphis and OKC? Maybe, probably, um, but yeah, I think I think Golden State will fall out and be replaced by the Nuggets. It's definitely the just most the interesting record, conference. Just for the record, can can we reflect on how crazy it is that uh, Jokic is leading the NBA in assists by almost by over two per game, almost. Oh wow, that's weird. yeah. He's averaging eleven, and the next closest guy is like nine point two. It's it's just nuts for a guy <laughs> of that size to be averaging eleven assists. A game. What's he averaging rebounds at the moment? Oh, 13, I want to say. 13. 
Is he's going for the he's going for the triple double? I think he's averaging a triple double right now. Oh yeah, wow! Pretty pretty easily he's averaging twenty four and ten and twelve. So maybe a sleeper MVP candidate. Hey, I, you heard it from me early in the season. Now moving on to the second part of our podcast, which is a little segment we're going to be calling what we would do if we were NBA commissioner for the day. The idea is that if we were given complete transparency and control of the league for 24 hours, what ideas and changes would we put forward uh, in order to improve the league and make it better? So we're each going to put a couple of ideas forward and then going to have a discussion on whether, whether or not we think those changes to the league will work. So, Charles, you want to start us off? Well, look, my idea would be removing the salary cap for players in the NBA. The reason why I think that this needs to be done is to try and level out the incredibly unbalanced competition. You know, if you look at the champions of the NBA, there's been 74, and 34 of them belong to either the Lakers or Celtics. Mm. Um, the Lakers losing another 15 times and the Celtics losing another four for a total of 53 NBA finals appearances between the two of them. Yep. You know, it's just, there's just such an unequal balance in the NBA today. And a lot of that's brought on by, you know, players, you know, uh, you know, uh, join, joining up in free agency and demand and demanding trades uh, but, you know, it's just, they always, for some reason, seem to go to the big markets. You know, you, you never see people join up and go, all right, let's go to OKC or let's go to the Trailblazers. Sorry, da- sorry Dalen. But, right. It just doesn't happen. And it just creates this incredibly unbalanced NBA where, you know, if you look at the NBA today, I mean, do you really think that any team in the West is, has, has a realistic chance of beating the Lakers? Because I don't. Do you think no. any team has a realistic chance of beating, say, the Nets in the East? What, the Bucks maybe with Giannis? I, I mean, I, I, I don't think the Heat stand a chance of hell of beating them. But are the Nets considered a big market team just because they're in Brooklyn? Well, I mean, they're, they're in New York. So, you know, yeah. I yeah. suppose you would have to consider, you know, they obviously don't have a lot of history because they're new to, the, to Brooklyn. Yeah, but, you know, I still consider them a big market team. You know, you know, Mikhail Prokhorov. That well, at least that's what he wanted when he moved the team there. But you know, I just think if you removed the cap on player salaries, it would allow teams like, say, the Thunder or the Pelicans to be able to attract high-priced free agents without necessarily having to overpay for them, because you know. This is sort of along the lines Sam Hinkie had with his decision to completely destroy the Sixers and rebuild from scratch. Was you know there's only three ways a team can acquire a player in the NBA: free agency, trade, or the draft. And you're never going to, and a small market team is never ever going to get a high quality free agent to come to their team without having very good young players and lots of cap space. And how do you get those two things? Cheap young players and high draft, which you attain through high draft picks. So you essentially have to lose anyway to get good. You know, I just think, you know, there's this massive problem. And that doesn't necessarily work out as well, right? Because you have to be able to have, you know, the, the money to pay for scouts and, you know, a great general manager to draft a good player. Yeah, but again, 
it would just it gives the smaller teams another avenue to sign players. Like if if the if the fun like when KD became a free agent after the Warriors, let's say the Charlotte Hornets wanted to sign him, which I assume they would. Every team would want to sign him. They have yeah. absolutely nothing that they can offer KD that another team can't. There's no competitive advantage for these smaller teams. Even a team like the Raptors, which had won the chip, you know, there's no advantage for them over, say, the Lakers or the Nets or the Knicks even because, you know, they're in a big market. But if they were able to offer Kevin $50 billion a year or whatever they wanted to, this creates a competitive advantage for them. But by having this cap on player salaries where it's 35% of the team's salary, it just completely ruins any team's ability to be able to sort of stand out because, you know, no one's going to Charlotte or no one's going to go to Charlotte or Phoenix, you know, for the big, but, you know, just because, you know, of a sales pitch, you know, they're, they're going to go there either to win or because, or for the money. And what happens is because all the players, all the good players go to the, are all, all sort of so concentrated on so fewer teams, it leaves all the other middle teams to overpay dramatically for average players. And right. it just, and then that completely soaks up their salary cap and it just further decreases their competitiveness in future drafts and in future years. So, you know, Sam Hinkie, I think, had the right idea in just completely destroying the team, building it up from scratch with young players through the draft. But, you know, they failed to sort of realise that dream so far. But, you know, I just think you have to do that because it would allow, say, the Wizards to go, okay, Kevin, you are from Washington. Originally, we will offer you $55 million a season and uh, of salary to come play here. And if the Warriors were to say, look, Kevin, we're not going to sign you for anything more than 35, you know, that's $20 million. Which is a lot of money. Which is a lot of money, regardless of, you know, his endorsement deals. And even if it's not, even if you think, oh, well, it doesn't make that much of a difference, it at least gives them some avenue to make themselves more competitive. This is Mm. why I like um, uh, uh, deals in in the MLB, because there's no salary cap. So a team right. like the Padres, who are you, who are frugalists and haven't, and before last year hadn't won a playoff series since 1998, can go out and sign a top-class free agent like Manny Machado for $300 million over 10 years because they can, they can offer as much money as they want. They, and if, they, if there were salary caps on players, on, on players' salaries, percentage of payroll, you know, there's no way they'd be able to sign someone like him. You know, there's yeah. no way... The, be able to offer Bryce Harper $330 million because they'd all just go to the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs, you know. Or so the Dodgers. I just think they have to. Yeah, all the Dodgers, even, or all the Angels, you know, Artie Moreno is a big spender. You know, all these teams with fat payrolls, you know. You know, a team like the Indians can make the World Series with a very low payroll because they can... They can sign players in the off-season. They can sign whoever they want for whatever money regardless of their payroll. While in the NBA, you said you're given a set number, you can't go above it unless you want to pay big tax. And they've capped the, uh, an individual player's salary and it just completely destroys the team's ability to be competitive. And the NBA yeah. tries to make it seem like, oh, you know, it's more competitive because it stops teams from overpaying for players. Well, that's their decision. 
you know, it shouldn't be the MBA's, you know, responsibility. You know, in the end, it's all just to try and reduce player salaries and reduce the amount that, you know, the overall power the players have on, on a team. So, you know, it's a bit sad. But anyway, that is my recommendation to try and level out the competition because it would, it would remove the concentration of top players from four or five teams, it would entice them to go to other teams that could offer more money that were at the bottom with lots of salary cap space and yeah. thus increasing the overall level of competition. Wouldn't it just become very hard to build teams together though then? Because people, it's quite clear someone who's playing for money, you know, taking money over championships in that regard. Yeah. Don't we see that with like that kind of backfiring in, in Major League Baseball where you've You've got those huge mega mega contracts like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's already kind of looks like a mistake. But then you look at a guy like Albert Pujols who got a huge deal uh, coming back from you know the the Cardinals and the Angels have not been competitive in, in large part because of that huge contract that they signed. I think you would kind of see that in basketball too, where one guy soaks up so much of the share of the available money that a team is willing to spend that you stars might be more distributed throughout the NBA, but then they can't build anything around that. So I, in one sense, maybe you get more stars in different teams in different cities. Um, but then outside of that star, maybe you're left playing with a bunch of guys who shouldn't even be outside of the G League. Yeah. My response to that is while I agree in the, in MLB, you do have a lot of sort of players getting contract sizes that, you know, they don't live up to, for example, pool holes, you know, yeah. his contracts are a big anchor on the angels. But, you know, the thing you've got to remember about MLB is one player. And this is, and this is why I think it would work more in the NBA than in, than it does in MLB is because in MLB and the angels, the team pool holes plays for is actually a perfect example of this one player in MLB will not get you to the playoffs. I mean, they're playing the, the angels have got Mike Trout, who's probably the best MLB player ever right now. And he's had a grand total of 12 playoff at bats. They've made the playoffs once while he's been there. So if yeah. he can't even get your ass to the playoffs, you know, no one can. But in the NBA, one player can dramatically alter a franchise far more than any single player in baseball. You know, if KD were to go to the Hornets, does anyone think that they wouldn't at least, what, win a playoff series i reckon they could easily win a playoff series just by signing kd to their already existing team yeah but in the in baseball you know even if you sign bonds in his prime on the roids you know if if you were say you know in 2004 if if you were the tampa bay devil rays who won i think 65 games obviously you're not going to get to the playoffs regardless of how much money you sign bonds for but if in the nba where one player has such a dramatic impact over the game because you know they don't have a hard cap on player influence, then I think it's much more. It makes far more sense. So I think the comparison with MLB in that regard is a bit sort of overstated, and that's and you know I sort of agree in that you know some players in MLB do get too much money. You know we've seen the Rays essentially make the World Series with essentially just an entire pitching staff of relievers and two start and three starters. So you know. Again, it's about the hard cap nature of player influence. That in the NBA, they just the, the 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 influence of a single player is so much greater than in baseball, and even in foot, and even in NFL, 
that I think it would make a lot more sense and have a much greater impact than it would in either of the other two sports. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely think there's a couple of things to this. I'd be, I'd be actually really interested to see um, the amount of you, you brought up the fact uh, before that the Lakers and Celtics have obviously dominated uh, throughout the course of NBA history because they're in the two biggest markets. Um, I'd be actually interested to see the stats behind your argument where you say that small market teams in the MLB are actually, you know, allowed and, you know, it's a lot easier for them to make the World Series and be successful in order to kind of back this argument up, right? Because there's still, it still is all going to come down to money, right? The Yankees are always going to be the biggest team in baseball by far and going to have the biggest payroll. And the Dodgers as well, because they're always in, they're, they're in the biggest market. They have the, the best TV revenue. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's a couple of things that we, we're not really considering when it comes to this. But no, I think it's definitely a very interesting idea uh, to bring up. The one Do thing we I'll, see... I'll just say to that quickly, uh, Dylan, is that the Yankees have spent two, spent two and a half billion US on payroll in the most recent decade and didn't even win a single pennant. So unlike in the NBA where... If you get really good players, your success is, is almost assured or guaranteed. In MLB, it's not. You know, we've seen, you know, the, the Seattle Mariners in 2001 won 116 games and they got absolutely trounced in the ALCS. You know, since 2000 in MLB, the Red Sox, Giants and Cardinals are the only teams to have won multiple championships. But in the NBA, you've got the Lakers, the Spurs, the Heat, the Warriors, you know, so you've had a lot of teams win multiple championships because there's such just there's such high concentration, and mm. you've got if you have good players at the top. This is why I think the the Nets got off easy with Harden with the Harden trade. It, if you have high level players, it doesn't matter how crap your bench is because they dominate the ball every yeah. play. But in baseball, you know, the best batter can only hit once every nine times. The yeah. best pitch only pitch once every fifth day you know so i think you know in mlb they've sort of tried to sort of create players more in the aggregate you know we've seen this with Moneyball, sort of taking players who are sort of not thought of for uh, you know stereotyped away but in the nba it really just comes down to who's got the most top level talent you know the lakers have lebron james and anthony davis you know that's the reason they win i don't want to hear this other rubbish because of they're the Lakers and all that stuff. No, it's because I got two of the best five players in the NBA. Like, yeah. That's why. And if you have two of the best five players in baseball, that doesn't guarantee you even winning your division or making the playoffs. So that's why I think with the NBA, they need to be able to, small market teams need to be able to offer whatever they want to players because the impact of those top level players is so much greater than in any other major sport in the U.S. Yeah, I'm curious if we have, you know, real, real world examples of more egalitarian, equitable dispersal of the championships, say in soccer, um, you know, sports that don't have that salary cap, or is it still the same few collection of teams at the top? Because it just seems, it's, you know, it's, it goes without saying, but it's kind of the teams that just always have the history. You yeah. know, that a Charlotte will never com compete with an L.A. team or, uh, you know, uh, the, the Mariners are never going to compete with the Yankees just because of the history and the tradition. And even if you, you know, you're looking at 100 years from now, maybe 
making moves. You know, it takes so much time to build, to build an organization. And I think there's just, you're, we're tweaking things and maybe they'll help in the short run. Um, I, but I just don't know how big of a change they're really going to help. Like maybe a couple teams will make the playoffs, but you're still looking, I think at the same, the same collection of few teams at the top, unless we can see in other sports where, Hey, you know, like these teams, that, these leagues don't have salary caps. All these teams are winning championships all the time. Mm. Yeah, no, well, it's interesting in football, sorry, soccer with, you know, uh, as we were saying before, Dylan, there's a concentration of teams uh, at the top of the Champions League that are always, you know, going to be in tension. You know, your, your Bayern Munich, your Liverpool's, your United's, your Real Madrid, your Barcelona's. So, yeah, and it, I mean, they, they don't have a salary cap and, you know, it's, it's still quite clear that that concentration of teams is always going to be, you know, it's, it's always going to be one of those teams that's going to win that competition. Yeah. It, it, I, I like Charles's idea. Like I would, I would be supportive of it. Um, I just think that if you abolish the salary cap, teams will still be operating with a salary cap. It just won't be the league mandated salary cap. It will be a salary cap mandated and set by the team's revenue by the team's owners and again we're stuck in the same situation where unless you're charlotte maybe with michael jordan who has a you know an unholy amount of money um Mm. a lot of the smaller market teams will functionally have a a salary cap much lower than the huge market teams. so if we abolish the salary cap maybe you know there's got to be some kind of some something set in place to make things more equitable and fair. I, I don't know where we would go with that. A rebuttal to that, Charles? Well, you've got to remember, just one point, Carol, about the, the soccer. You've got to remember, these, these teams that always compete at the top of the Champions League, they, they're not all in the same division. Like, you know, Bayern playing Germany, you know, United yeah. Liverpool playing England. And you've got to remember, they don't have any luxury tax uh, complications either. That's the yep. other big difference, you know. They're owned by billionaires who, in some cases, are just trying to clean their money, and in the other cases, actually wish to invest. So, I think comparing it to uh, the concentration of success in European football is, I think, a bit misguided, simply because it's not—they're not a collective in the same way that MLB is. You know, it's under Major League Baseball. I know they all play football and they all play in the UCL but the UCL is just a tournament it's not a sort of governing body or or a league in the same way that um in the, in, in the same way MLB or the NBA is now back to the the, the point you made uh, Dalen about you know would it actually make that much of a difference I'm not totally against keeping the the league salary cap but I am also completely against removing the players sorry completely for removing the player's cap of the percentage of um, salary cap of a team that they can make up. So currently it's 35%. So I would remove that and say to the individual players, you can make whatever percentage of the cap that you want. Um, Obviously, obviously, look, I'm not under any illusion. Even if they remove the salary cap, the teams are still going to operate with a cap. They, They do this in MLB, even though they don't have a salary cap, you know, the teams still operate as if there is one. You know, I think currently this season, Mike Trout is set to make more money than the entire Cleveland Indians team. <laughs> you know, so yeah. of course there are still salary caps, even if there aren't really, even if there isn't really a salary cap, you know, the, yeah. the 
clubs traded away Hugh Darvish for one year of Zach Davies and four blokes that won't be ready for the majors for four years. So, you know, just, just to save money. So, you know, I, I'm aware that there will always be skirting of the rules, but I think they should definitely at least remove the player's cap of salary percentage because that way they can the owners can say, look, we can't spend above this, but we can offer you all this money. And that is another way. And it just allow, entices them to at least give themselves some footing. Yes, it's not as equal, but it won't be as unequal as it currently is. Um, my idea, um, if I was NBA commissioner for the day, is to institute an in-season tournament uh, for the NBA. It's an idea that's been put forward a couple of times uh, in order to give an incentive for players to maybe not play better, but play a bit harder during the regular season. I feel like the first half of the regular season, it's very, it's very hard to keep players competitive. There's been a, a big move in the last couple of years towards load management and, you know, resting players and make sure they're 100% ready for the playoffs. Um, the reason why it hasn't happened in the past is obviously because the idea of monetary incentives has been put forward uh, I, I just don't think that will really work. I mean, if you're offering a guy like James Harden or Kawhi Leonard a million dollars, if they win this tournament, it's not it's not going to really make them care. Lottery picks, like, do you really think Kawhi Leonard's going to care if he's playing in an in-season tournament for a lottery pick that could replace him in five years' time? It uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. I just feel like this would uh, make it a lot better for uh, players to you know, be competitive uh, during the regular season. So the idea I'm putting forward is uh, an idea that has been constructed by the maestro in Bill Simmons. Uh, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but I, I want to put it forward because I think uh, it is brilliant. Uh, so first of all, um, bringing down the regular season to 72 games, um, I think is by far the, the first thing that should happen. I don't think 82 games really works. Uh, it works out perfectly for NBA scheduling. You play the other four uh, teams in your division four times, uh, both two games home and two games away. Uh, then you play four games against six other opponents in, uh, in your conference that aren't in your division. Then you play three games against the remaining four conference teams. Uh, and then you play two games against the teams in the opposing conference. So it works out to perfectly 72 games. You don't have 10 extra games that, you know, are kind of worked out by seedings from the previous year uh, and other ways. So basically the way it works is you have two cup competitions. So at the 35 game mark, uh, which is roughly halfway through the season, uh, you have two cup competitions called the Russell Cup and the Chamberlain Cup. The first cup, the Russell Cup, is the top 14 teams by record in the NBA, regardless of your conference standings. So the top 14 teams, you can have three teams from the East and uh, 11 teams from the West. It doesn't matter what conference you're in, it's just the top 14 teams. The top seeds get a buy, so one and two will get a buy. And each round is worth a certain amount of wins. So it's basically a March Madness style win or go home tournament. And each round is worth a certain amount of wins that are added to your regular season total at the end of the season. So the first round is worth one win. The second round is worth one win. The third round is worth two wins. If you make the finals, you, you're worth four wins. And if you win the competition, you win six wins. 
So the way this would work is, for example, if the Boston Celtics, their record at the end of the season was 50 and 22. So they won 50 games and they lost 22 games. And say the Celtics finished third or fourth in the East. However, if the Celtics won the Russell Cup, those six wins they get from winning the Russell Cup will be added to their record at the end of the season. So it can make a huge difference between whether or not the Celtics finish third and have to play the six-seeded team or they finish first and have to play the eight-seeded team. The reason why I think this should be put in is that it just it adds a whole new complexity to the NBA. You don't have this massive rush at the end of the season where teams are trying to get into the playoffs. Teams have to play, you know, all 72 games to the best of their ability. It should get rid of load management because you can't really rest players at the start of the season because 35 games in, you're playing this tournament that actually means something. Uh, there's more incentive to play well. It creates more of a conversation. You get the March Madness buzz where you're talking about, you know, who's going to get the number one seed, who's going to get into each cup competition. It just creates such a bigger buzz uh, around the NBA. Uh, and then the second cup competition is called the Chamberlain Cup. Uh, and that's the bottom 16 teams. And they play also for wins, uh, but they don't play for as many wins. So there's more incentive for them to play for that uh, in order to, you know, for them, for it to make a difference between them making the playoffs and them not making the playoffs. Uh, and if you win the Chamberlain Cup, you also get the 32nd pick in the draft. So you add two picks to the draft. And if you win the Russell Cup, you get the 31st pick. So that's the idea I'm putting forward to have an in-season tournament in the NBA. Would you do this before or after All-Star Weekend? Uh, before. What about adding any financial uh, compensation, say um, some kind of cash reward for, oh, I don't know. but. I feel for like time money do it. What's that? For them winning the tournament like they do in the All-Star game? Yeah, I was thinking about even adding it to, like, you know, individual performances, but I think that would just deteriorate the, the quality of the play. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, de there's definitely some way to put monetary value into it. But, yeah, no, I, I just think it's, a, I think it's a great idea. I think it could work very well. Yeah. I think there's definitely potential, uh, sort of a bit like the FA Cup with uh, – in, in the EPL, sort of trying to break up the competition. I, I agree with you that there needs to be something done about, you know, the, this load management thing with players just, I just don't give a rat's about 25 games of the season. <laughs> Kawhi. Um, because <laughs> they know it doesn't really matter. So I think this, is, this could definitely be one way of incentivizing them to do it. I think... In, this, in a similar way to the FA Cup, if you made the cup actually, if you made winning it actually mean something, like, you know, they could say, you know, he's been, he's only won one league championship, but they've won four, you know, Chamberlain, you know, Wilt Cups or uh, Russell Cups, so that yeah. it could kind of at least make the players feel like they've won something apart from the championship because, you know, there's this whole sort of boom or bust approach in the NBA where if you win the championship, you're a success and anything else than that is a complete and total failure. So yeah. I think by doing this, it could definitely create more competition. And this whole sort of March Madness thing, it also, I like it personally, the win or go home stuff, because in the NBA, the best team in a seven game series always wins. So if you did it one off, 
it, you know, you could bloody have the Kings go on a massive run and win it. And, you could have know, Cinderella it, stories, which is yeah, the beauty nice of March Madness. Yeah, again, yeah. So it provides this, this nice, yeah, you know, like in the FA Cup, the magic of the cup and all this stuff. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one way to sort of, I think it definitely incentivizes the, the, the worst teams, I think, more so than the top ones because they say, well, we, you know, our season hasn't gone that great, but golly hell, we can at least try and win something. But it's got to have value. The Cups have to have value for this to have success, I believe. Yeah, I think it could motivate some of the teams too that that are preventing them from maybe just sliding and sitting if they have a comfortable lead there in first. You know, they'll 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 have an, a reason to to play hard and finish a season and keep their guys playing rather than hey, we've got a you know four game lead with five games left. We're just gonna not even play because we're yeah. good. Um, I, I think I think that's a that's a great incentive. Yeah, the, the other the other idea that's been put put forward is obviously the the playing tournament as well, which I know uh, Dalian, you're not a big fan of, uh, but no, that could that could no. also come into load management as well, right? If you have, you know, the the top six teams as a lock for the conference, and then the rest being playing games, so that's the other component. Yeah. I guess we can see how it goes, but I just think there's already enough teams that make the playoffs. You know, eight eight teams, half of the league making the playoffs is plenty, in my opinion, if not almost too much. But yeah, too many. Yeah. 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 Anyway, all right. when you play um, that many games, it's the same thing with baseball. When you play that many games, you you had your chance. I'm I'm not hugely in favor of giving the ninth and tenth seeded teams another chance to make it after they've just had. 82 games or in this year 72 games to make their case yeah. you know you got you got your time it's you know we're moving on with who made it thanks for listening to the view from down under if you like the podcast be sure to give us a follow on facebook or instagram to be notified for future episodes catch you on the next view from down under